What I want is to change the mindset. Think about security. Don't just let's say, oh, it's fine. Have an extra step. Think about, okay, is this actually secure? Are we introducing any problems? Because that's what's sort of missing from most teams. Hey, everybody. I'm Jeremy. And I'm Jess. And we are two internet friends exploring the intersection of independent business and rails. Hey, everybody. Welcome to a special recording of Indie Rails. This is a mini episode we're doing the first day of Rails World in Amsterdam. I'm here with Jess coming over Zoom, and our special guest is Greg Molnar. Greg is a security expert and independent Rails developer. He's working on a product, and he just had a new book come out. Welcome to the show, Greg. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Hey, nice to meet you, Greg. So... This is a special format. We're doing a very short little mini episode here at the conference. So we'll get right into it. I'd love to hear just briefly a little bit about your background and how you got into Rails as well as into security. So I started as a PHP developer back in like 27 or something. After a few years of PHP, I realized that it's not the best language for me. I wanted to learn something else. I saw the famous 15 minutes blog video and I was like, oh, I need to learn this new thing, Rails. Yeah. And then I became a Rails engineer and then I got a contract with a security consultancy. And then those guys did penetration testing and all sort of security related things and they had Rails internal tools. So I worked as a Rails engineer and then, I, you know, you are talking to your coworkers. So they got me infected with this security thing. I got really yeah. interested in it. And I asked the guys there, what should I do to get into security? Mm-hmm. They directed me to a few courses. Then I learned about penetration testing, completed a, a very good course. If that's what they say. It's pretty, mm-hmm. Actually, it was pretty tough. Yeah. And since then, what I try to do is I like, split my time with security, penetration testing, and development. Because I still love to write code, mm-hmm. but I also love security. So now I'm splitting my time between the two. That's cool. Greg, so when you first got into security, was it a general security? Were you... Worried about securing servers, networks, or was it very specific to like web applications? It's penetration testing and it's infrastructure, which means servers and web as well. So everything basically. So really the full stack. Really the full stack. I also did some mobile stuff in the back in the past, but I'm not really great with that. So I need to get more educated on those things. I focus on web mostly because I know also engineering and development, it helps me with the security stuff. Mm. So it's easier for me to do web stuff than anything else, to be honest, to test web stuff. That makes sense. It's probably the most open and most vulnerable too, right? Yeah, probably. I think mobile also has some issues because nobody really focuses on that. Good opportunity, maybe. Yeah, I'm more interested in web stuff, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) So, So what led you into the indie path? I was working for full-time for a few companies and mm-hmm. then I learned that you shouldn't give your whole self to any company because mm-hmm. one day they might do something which you really don't agree with and then you are going different ways. And yeah. then I realized that I don't even want to work for anyone. I want to work for myself yeah. and still I don't work for myself, but at least I choose my clients yeah. and then it's a different story because it's you are not so much connected to anyone. You mm-hmm. are like, yeah, we are working together on this thing and that's it. Yeah. How did that change your relationship to your own work, did it have a pretty big impact on you going from full-time employee to consulting? A a little bit. I think the good thing about this is there are more like freedom and I see more different things. You don't work on the same thing. Like when I left, my last full-time job was for a financial company with its finance stuff. Mm -hmm. And now I see a lot more different various things. So it's way better than just focusing on one certain domain. 
I have, I have the same feeling there. It seems to be a reoccurring theme among independent people is that they like that variety and context change. You are one of the only independent Rails people that I know of that's also working in security or have that Rails plus security kind of overlap. Maybe Mike Buckby would be the only other person I could think of offhand that has a security background as well in Rails. How has that kind of niche helped you either market yourself or find clients or help you stand out in the market? To be honest, not really. Because okay. development work, they don't even care that uh, I have the security experience. And for security, I don't always work on Rails apps. Mm-hmm. I work on anything. Yeah. There is no requirement. So it's sometimes it's PHP, Node.js, whatever, ASPX, okay. .NET. So sometimes I work on some other tools. But I prefer Rails because I know a lot about Rails and the usual security mistakes people do with Rails. Yeah, okay. I don't need to do as much research than if it's something else, let's say Laravel. That makes sense. It's really interesting because my guess was that the overlap would be really beneficial. But what you just told me is tracks very much with my experience of being a designer and developer. And I've tried to do both. And a lot of times what I found is, and what I tell people is that people either hire me for development or design, and they rarely want both. They don't want both in the same person for some reason. That's Um, weird. I would love that because then the designer can't point to the developer and the developer can't point to the designer. It seems like it makes sense. You designed it. Most of the time, my experience has been clients want me in one of those buckets. They don't want me in the other one. It's very strange. But I mean, that kind of tracks with what you were just saying, that your clients end up wanting you for one particular type of role or the other, but you like both and you don't want to have to commit to just one, I'm assuming. Exactly. Now my time is mostly development and least less penetration testing, but I want to shift that. I want to do more security and less development. Okay. I'm yeah. trying to come up with something, some sort of like a prototype service to make it somehow more affordable for smaller companies to yeah. also hire me for security. Okay. Because it's usually like a, a cost issue. Yeah. He wants to cash out a few thousand euros or dollars for right. penetration test. Nobody cares about security until it's a problem, huh? Yeah, exactly. That's the other thing. Until you got hacked, you don't care. And yeah. these days, a lot of companies don't even realize they got hacked. Okay. Because cyber, sec- cyber criminals now are like proper like business people. They get into a system and they stay hidden. They are in stealth mode and they figure out how can they make money stealing data, selling to your competitors, for instance, mm-hmm. or selling it in the black market. So usually companies don't even realize that they got hacked. So have you thought about selling like an audit product or something like that? Is that a... Yeah, maybe. Or more of like saying on a monthly retainer ah, so okay. you don't have a big upfront cost. Yeah. You can distribute the cost in like six months or a, or okay. a year, but you still get the same amount of work done in a mm-hmm. longer period. Right. Just something spread out. Like that. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. So speaking of hacking, I think I saw somewhere on your website that I don't know the correct term, but... Or is it a white hat hacker that where you go in and try to test companies or is that just all bundled under the penetration testing? I think what you mean is the different types of testing. So there is a white box, black box and gray box, which means white box is when you get access to everything to the source code as well. And black box is when you don't get access to anything. They just tell you this is the domain and this is in scope and you can figure out everything on your own. And Greybox is the one where they tell you, we use this technology mm. and we have a system like this. So they give information, they answer your, if you have any questions, how things are implemented, they tell you, but you don't see the source code. So that's ah. three kind of penetration tests. 
I would do, but black box I don't recommend. It's a waste of money because I just spent so much time on things which uh, I could find out from you. Yeah, that's the closest to real life. Right, but that's financially doesn't make sense. The best if I get access to the source code, usually that's best because then I can more easily verify if I find something that it's an actual issue or I'm just going down the wrong rabbit hole sometimes. Yeah, I, I want you to pinpoint the place I'm most vulnerable quickly. So whatever you need to get that. It needs to be pragmatic. Security mm-hmm. needs to be pragmatic, I think. it's That makes sense. You're finding vulnerabilities. Is it difficult working with clients who then maybe want to point blame at developers for making poor decisions? That, that, that never happened never in happens. my life. Okay. No, no, no. It's not a blame game. So yeah. we all make mistakes. When yeah. I write code, I find issues with my code later sometimes. Sure. Because the way I see it, when you write code, you try to solve a problem. So you think about how can I make this a solution to this problem, which is performant, is it easy to maintain, it's a good code, but you don't really think about the security. That's a different thing. So that's why you introduce yeah. issues and sometimes you overlook things. And it's not a blame game. We all make mistakes. We should just learn from it. Yeah. So I never I always try to word my reports, like never put blame on anyone, mm-hmm. even if it's just silly mistakes. Everybody makes silly mistakes. Yeah. Do you have to set the stage with clients, like business owners, to say that up front? Hey, we're, if we find things, it's not your developer's fault or it's not your fault. This is just like mm-hmm. things that... No, I, you know, I don't really They do understand that, that too. They, they kind of yeah, understand okay. that. So they're they com- never, I don't think they even look it up whose fault is it. Yeah. You can get blame, but right. it wouldn't make That's sense. just not how they're yeah. Okay. It's not going to help. You should just tell the team, okay, guys, you made this mistake. Next time, don't do it. If they do it regularly, of course, you're going to get fed be. up, but that rarely happens. Yeah. I want to take a second to thank Buzzsprout, our sponsor for this special episode. If you haven't heard about them, Buzzsprout is the world's largest premium podcast hosting platform built on Rails. They partnered up with the Rails Foundation to sponsor the Rails World Podcast Program where Ruby and Rails podcasters could record episodes of their podcast during Rails World in a dedicated recording booth they set up in the sponsor lounge. If you're thinking about starting a podcast, you will need a good hosting platform, so you should check out Buzzsprout. They are big supporters of the Ruby and Rails ecosystems, and from my experience, genuine and caring folks. Find out more about them at buzzsprout.com. So you said you've tested many different frameworks how do you think that Rails compares to other frameworks with like encouraging good security practices? I think Rails defaults are pretty good. They have good security defaults in the framework, but that's also, it's also leading to a bit of a problem. So people don't care about security because they think, oh, Rails is a secure framework. But I could see uh, that. First chapter, I think, is the first chapter in my book is explaining like how much money Shopify, GitHub, and 37Signals paid out on HackerOne mm. to penetration testers who found issues in those apps. And those guys have really good engineering teams. And if they make mistakes, yeah. can you imagine how much mistakes the rest does yeah. who don't have that good quality of engineers right. or that experienced guys? So I think it's a good and a bad thing at the same time. We have good security defaults compared to some other frameworks, but people maybe for that reason don't really think about security as much as they should. Like in PHP, you need to be constantly alerted to a lot of issues like XSS more than in Rails. Like in Rails, XSS, unless you explicitly define something to be unsafe, it's safe. Okay. But there are a few APIs which people, for this reason, they don't even realize those can lead to an XSS. Like Link2 is the most famous one. Second parameter of link to yeah. can be a string. And right. if you let any user to control that, they can put a JavaScript payload there. Yeah. Because it can start with JavaScript colon, which uh-huh. means it's a JavaScript scheme. Yeah. And it executes JavaScript. So if you had to draw a pie chart of 
security issues that you typically come across, are they usually oversights by the developer or is it more from like outdated libraries or loops or holes in the networking? Do you have like a good idea of what you typically find? I rarely found outdated libraries. I think people are kind of okay with that. There are a lot of automation for that. You know, like, I don't know how it's called, but GitHub has this thing. Dependabot. Dependabot. GitLab has its own. So mm. I think that's kind of going out of the picture. It's usually more of like logical issues. People usually focus on the happy part. Yeah. And they don't realize, oh, there's an unhappy part, which can lead to a security mm-hmm. issue. It's usually like oversights. Yeah. Or misuse of APIs. They don't realize that, oh, this API is actually can lead to a security if you, if issue if you use it in a certain way, and they just don't know that. So jumping over, congratulations on your new book, Secure Code Review for Rails Developers. Can you tell us about what made you decide to write a book on this topic? Yeah, well, I want people to be aware of security, more mm-hmm. raise awareness in the Rails world yeah. of security. And what this book is about, it's trying to teach you to think differently mm-hmm. during code review. So do your regular code review. Is it following our standard practices? Is it performant? Is it good? But then have a, an extra step and think about the security aspect. Okay. Yeah. And in the book, you have examples of code, which I ask you to look at and see if you see anything wrong with it. And then think about it and then scroll to the next page and find the solution. Cool. And some of them, well, actually, I'm not going to tell anything about this. <laughs> you should read it and you will see. Yeah, get the book. Okay, awesome. Yeah, I just picked it up last night, so I'm looking forward to checking it out. It's pretty short, actually, but I think it's still useful. I had good feedback from the people who read it so far. So. I think short's a good bet. People probably aren't going to spend 10, 12 hours reading a book. So if it's something that you can open their eyes to some important or often overlooked issues, then... It's not specific issues. What I want is to change the mindset. So think about security. Don't just let's say, oh, it's fine. It's following standards and everything is fine. Let's manage this. Have an extra step. Think about, okay, is this actually secure? Are we introducing any problems? Because that's what's sort of missing from most teams. Yeah, that makes sense. How long did it take you to write the book? It didn't take a long time to actually write it, to mm-hmm. release it, because I, I was procrastinating for a long, long time. It's done for six months at least. Mm-hmm. Why? I don't know. I was like, I need to do a bit more on it, mm-hmm. maybe a little bit more. And then I was just, I don't know, let's just release it. Yeah. Let's wrap it up. But it took maybe in actual working hours, probably a more month worth of work. Okay. Yeah. Roughly. That seems reasonable. I was curious about the effort on that. How much of that was, were you able to pull from notes that you already had or did you have to write from scratch just kind of everything most of it was things which i came across in the past mm-hmm. and i had good examples already a few yeah and then i was looking for a few more and then i did some research like into how the payouts of various companies on hacker one mm, yeah and things like that that's cool but yeah yeah so and then you also have a product pombo mailer yes that's a newsletter platform yeah so where does this fit in your constellation of offerings? And I'm writing a newsletter okay. for Rails developers, a weekly Got newsletter. It. Yes. And then I was using other tools and I was unhappy with them. And you know what developers do? <laughs> they are not happy with the tool. I can write my own. <laughs> That's right. And I created my own. And then if I like it, maybe someone else will like it. So why not open it for everybody right. else? But it needs a lot more work. It's in a very, very early stage. Okay. Are you trying to do something different than other newsletter services? Is there an angle that you're going after to set yourself apart? 
Yes, the main thing at the beginning, I think most of the other newsletter platforms, there are two kinds of platforms. One is they are free, but you know, nothing is free. So the question is, what are they going to do with your data? There are the others that you pay, but I think they are not really indie friendly because mm. once you have like a thousand subscribers, you pay 30 bucks a month. Yeah. She's like, oh, are you kidding jump. with me? That doesn't, with a thousand subscribers, you make nothing. You right. can't make any money. You need at least five to 10,000 subscribers to mm. be able to afford it. So my pricing is really low because I actually don't really want to make huge. That's not going to make me a millionaire for sure. Yeah. But it's going to have probably other people to start a newsletter because it's cheaper to get to the point where you can actually make money from your newsletter. Cool. So my main selling point is the price for now, but then also there will be features which will be make hopefully better than the rest. And the UX, I tried to make it different from the ones I used because I didn't like any of them. Yeah. Okay. Tell us about Railstrix, your newsletter. It's a week, not a week. I didn't write it this week. <laughs> I try to write every week. You I get a break write, this week. <laughs> yeah. I try to write a short piece, which is like, you can read it in a few minutes huh? and you learn something about Rails. It's usually about a new feature, old feature, which is not so well known, which I came across or something which I did that week on a project. And it's just always good to share to people a small thing, to be honest. Cool. No, I like it. Yeah, but I, I have a few subscribers, like 700 now or something. All right. So people are enjoying it. Apparently. Yeah, congrats. That's great. Thanks. Yeah, I noticed your blog has a lot of entries. Do you cross post with your newsletter and your blog? Yeah, I post it on, on my blog. This new newsletter platform now because it has a good archive. I started to post it on my own blog and when, it, when I was using other tools because I don't want to give my content to someone else. Yeah, that makes sense. It seems like you have a either interest or a habit of writing or, or are you just doing it by necessity? Do you enjoy writing? I enjoy writing actually, but recently I don't have enough time for it. I like to have time for it so I can, because I, I like short pieces. I think if you can compress things into a short piece, these days people don't have a long attention span. So if you can compress something down, but that takes time, write a lo- writing a long piece is easy. You can just sit down, not easy, but it's easier. But then when you edit it down to a smaller thing, that takes time. And I don't have that much time recently, but hopefully I will. Yeah, we hope so too. Seems like you're putting out some really great stuff. So Thanks for the feedback. Yeah. Thanks, Greg, so much for uh, being on this short version of Indie Rails podcast. It's been great to get acquainted a little bit with you and hear a little bit about your work. Could you tell our audience where they could find you online? find the products and services you're working on? Sure. I'm on Twitter. It's Greg Molnar. And my blog is on greg.molnar.io. And bombonewsletter.com is the newsletter. And that's it. You can find real tricks on my blog. Awesome. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks, Greg. Really nice to meet you. Likewise, it was fun. Thank you. Appreciate it. <laughs>